Ayana Gray's debut novel, Beast of Prey, is a splendid and masterfully written story that has sealed its place in our fantasy canon. This pan-African tale takes us to the mythical city of Lakosa, where we meet Kofi, a young indentured woman who is on the brink of learning of the mythical gift she possesses. We talk with Ayana about the birth of an idea that became a New York Times best-selling novel, and we speak about the search for identity and fiction as African Americans must reckon with the erasure of history and mythology due to slavery. Stay with us on another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today, today, <laughs> we mm. have a very special guest, y'all. We have the one, the only, Ayana Gray. Ayana Gray is the author of speculative works and lover of all things, monsters, mythos, and hashtag melanin magic. Originally from Atlanta, she now lives in sunny Florida, where she reads avidly, follows Formula One racing, and worries over her adopted baby black rhino, Apollo. Beast of Prey is her debut novel and an instant New York Times bestseller. Congratulations on that and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing so well. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> How are you guys? We're so excited to finally be able to sit down and talk to you about your novel. But before we get into that, um, we like to do a very special thing with our YA guests, and that is uh, giving you all a little um, hot seat moment. We're going to ask you uh, five questions. This is Denny's favorite part of these interviews. <laughs> favorite frame. If she could do this for every author, she would. Yes. So this is this is when I give her the mic <laughs> and let her take over. All right, Denny. So um, first of all, I really loved your book because this oh. is. This is like one of my favorite, or maybe I think my favorite, my favorite genre, um, which is, you know, speculative works, spec, spec fiction, and like all the monsters, the mysteries, and the magic. Um, let's do this quick questions. Um, what book helped you go through the pandemic? Oh, um, ah, Sorcery of Thorns <laughs> the next- by Margaret Ross. The next country that you would want to travel to? Greece. Which character would you become best friends with? Econ. <laughs> there was a loud ooh. <laughs> what foods remind you of home? Mac and cheese and sweet potato pie. Who was your favorite character from Steven Universe? This is her. <gasps> Garnet. Garnet, Garnet, Garnet. <laughs> If you were a Daraja, what would be your chosen power? 
Mm, I'd love to be an illusionist. So somebody who can manipulate emotion. Oh, she oh, dug man. deep there. That's a, that's a good one right there. And I also miss eating sweet potato pie. I haven't had sweet potato pie in a minute, which is a shame because. This I'm, is the season for it. This, this is, is the it. season for it. And everybody yeah. wants to give you all that pumpkin stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why. What is that? I don't know. That? Why? No. <laughs> all right. Um, so let us just ask the most important question. Yes. And that is. This is my question. This is. Go ahead and ask this one. Are you ready to to replace J.K. Rowling and have a a theme park in Universal? Because I'm for it. I'm I'm ready. Yeah. I'm 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 ready. I'm I yeah. That's that's a whole conversation. Um, I I wish that there were lots of other fantasy authors that had universes and theme parks at this point. They deserve it. Um, and I'm just massively disappointed in that author's choices and just yeah. that's a whole (laughs) that's a whole thing that's a whole different podcast but i am ready for your rides i am ready to to go in in this world yes and there's many many places and do things (laughs) (laughs) there was a beast to pray uh it'd be terrifying but it would be super fun i'd love that (laughs) for sure so often um when people think of fantasy fiction, especially that of YA, they tend to lead with titles such as Harry Potter or The Lord of the Rings as the pinnacle of that genre. What you and writers such as Tomi Adeyemi have done and made space and a name for Black writers to shine in this genre of storytelling, forever shifting what will be considered as who may be included in this canon. Will you talk about what it means to see your book take up space as it has done and what will it mean for the future of Black writers? Um, It's first and foremost an honor to get to write books and especially to get to write books um, that uplift and celebrate a community that hasn't had nearly enough stories um, where they get to be the hero. that's, That's something I take very seriously. And you know, of course I want to tell stories, but my goal is, you know, I think about when I was 16 and I used to go to the library looking for certain books and, you know, I'd look for fantasy I'd look for fantasy with people of color, people who looked like me and not see anything. I want readers, especially to be able to go into a library or bookstore um, and not just have one option, not just have two, not just have five, but have shelves, plural of options, because, you know, sometimes you pick up a book and you don't, you don't immediately love it. So you should have options. Um, I know that there are other authors, Tracy Dion, who's a friend of mine and who I massively respect. She wrote Legendborn, uh, JL, Wings of Ebony, Namina Forna, The Gilded Ones, uh, Lauren Blackwood, Within These Wicked Walls, just came out last week. So this has been happening. It's going to keep happening. And I'm really excited just for the possibilities, just filling up shelves full of, full of stories where especially Black girls and Black boys get to be the heroes, get to be the center stage celebrated, nuanced, layered, um, and occupy, you know, lots of different spaces. Why don't you tell uh, those who might not uh, know exactly what your book is about? Why don't you give us a backstory in that? And also wanting us to know, like, how you built this world of his shows. So how did that come about for you? Yeah, if they live under a rock, they wouldn't know. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a newbie. I understand it. Um, so, okay, Beasts of Prey, I also call her Bop 
Um, Beasts of Prey is young adult fantasy and it's Pan-African uh, young adult fantasy. Uh, it's about two black teens. One, her, one is named Kofi and she's a beast keeper at a magical zoo. She's indentured there and trying to pay off her family debt. Um, and then you have Ekon on the other side. He is a warrior in training, comes from a long line of elite warriors in his family. And he's just on the cusp of becoming a warrior. They lead very different lives. But then one night, an, an unexpected event happens and their paths cross. And they end up deciding to work together to go into the magical jungle that borders their city so that they can find a monster. And this monster has been menacing their city for nearly 100 years, killing people, terrorizing people. They decide to go into this jungle and find the monster um, and they have different plans for the monster. They don't tell each other what their different plans are. But of course, they step into this magical jungle full of creatures and gods and mythos and nothing goes according to plan. Um, and they learn a lot more than they think they're going to learn. So that is Beasts of Prey. Um, as far as the the world, um, you know, I, I because I write fantasy, the world is really important for me. And what I actually do is... Um, I make a fake Wikipedia page is what I call it. So if you looked, if you were to Wikipedia, like the country of Jamaica or the country of Ghana, for example, there's like a summary and then there's different subsections about the history, famous people who are from the cuisine, the economy, the politics, the, you know, every detail you can think about. I make kind of a fake Wikipedia page for my world and I have to know the world all the way through before I can even really start writing. And some of the details I make on my fake Wikipedia page may not even make it into the story, but I know them and I might use them for later books. Um, but for me, everything starts with the world who has power, who doesn't have power. How would that affect, you know, a certain person who didn't have power? Like, what does their world look like? And I ask myself questions and that's how my stories kind of come, come into place. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. Like start with like the whole like kind of summary because it it makes sense because when when I was reading the book it was like this is well thought of because like you wouldn't like you didn't miss a beat like mm -hmm. this goes to here and this goes to here like everything is like rotating and it's happening all together but it makes so much sense yeah you, you're not lost in the world you want to keep finding out what's hap what's going to happen next so hey. kudos to you that was really really that was impressive um what was your vision for um, when you were writing about Kofi and her like family lineage as a Daraja? Um, so with Co there are three kind of POVs in the story. With Kofi, I really wanted to write like, um, and it's something I didn't realize I did until after, but I feel like in YA fantasy, especially, and you both read it enough, like that you see kind of the tropes, you know, a lot of times you have a parent or parents who are, killed off and or or a family member who's killed off and it always is this thing where the the family member who died was this wonderful person and and losing them was a great tragedy but I wanted to write a story where someone a character had to deal with grief in a more complicated way so it's easy to grieve somebody that you've lost when you had a good relationship with them right mm -hmm. it's harder to grieve when you didn't have a good relationship with somebody you know, when you have unresolved anger at somebody. So in Kofi's situation, and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say this, she and her mom are in a really bad situation. They're in massive debt because of decisions that her father made. And then her father passed away. And so she's like, well, I can't be mad at him. He's my dad. He, he passed away. 
I'm not allowed to be mad at him. So that builds into this anger that literally impacts her. I won't give that part away, but it impacts her power. It impacts her, her emotionally. And that's a journey she has to take throughout the story in addition to everything else that's going on. Um, and that's a piece from my personal life, you know, learning how to deal with grief when it's messy and learning how to come to deal, come to terms with things and reckon with things, even when it's messy, when it's hard as a teenager, it's, it's really, really hard. Um, and I also wanted to write, you know, Kofi is a black girl. I wanted to write a black girl who was strong and not only in the ways that we think of strong black women, but emotionally strong and emotionally resilient, also fragile um, in some ways that we don't get to see black women. Um, yeah. And then you have uh, the other female POV audio who was like her, but in a, it, it was just uh, strong in a different way. So I wanted to so, show black womanhood in different different nuances i'm i'm glad that you you mentioned like the common tropes that you would read in in ya um uh, in ya books um because for me particularly this genre is not one that i ever read until i met denny it never you know it was i probably more apt to like watching the movie when it comes out than to actually sit and read the book yeah and it, i think this one, if you ever want to like open that world up to a, a young person, this is a good place to start because what you've done is you've taken those common tropes and you've been able to like flip them on the edge and say, okay, let me do something different with it. And it really shows you the dedication of like wanting to write a full story um, that gives you more depth than what you would normally expect from a, just a YA novel in, in general. So uh, thank you for that. The, the darkness uh, found in the greater jungle, yes. mm-hmm. it can also be found, um, found the temples of Lakosa. How did you navigate the characters' lives around the aspect of that part of the story? I think... Well, okay. So as a writer, you type, you write what you love to see in books. Like you, you get to pick what you want. I really love stories where the world itself, the setting almost feels alive and the setting has its own sort of personality with the temple of Lakosa, That was really, really deliberate. Um, when I was in college, I took African and African-American studies courses for the first time. And I learned about black scholars. I learned about black revolutionaries, pan-African leaders, that I had never been told about. I read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass for the first time, and it was in college at 18, 19 years old. Um, and so Ekon, there's a moment when, he, when he's in the library, he's surrounded by books, specifically books and knowledge, and it's all written by Black, well, in this world, Black men for the most part. Um, and I thought that was significant to have a Black boy who loves books surrounded by books written by other Black men and to see Black culture preserved and cared for in a way that in the real world, we know so much of it has been erased, destroyed, stolen, and not just Black people, but people of color in general. Our cultures have, have been you know, decimated. So I really wanted to have in Beasts of Prey, specifically a temple where culture was preserved and held in high esteem. With the greater jungle, one of the things that Kofi and Ekon, you know, kind of have to learn is that things aren't always what they appear. And sometimes stepping into somebody else's shoes and showing empathy um, can change the way you look at something. And so the jungle has its own personality and everyone thinks it's this evil, horrible place, but it's because, you know, they, they're reinforced stereotypes. It's because it's unknown. And 
what are you always afraid of? The things that you don't know. Um, and so I don't want to give it away, but they kind of go through the jungle. They kind of have their own like understanding by the end of the story of what the jungle even is and what they thought it was, isn't maybe what they were told. And, um, yeah. And I also, I love, <laughs> I love animals and I love monsters and I love jungles just as a reader. And I don't see a lot of fantasy, you know, a lot of fantasies based in like in English European settings. Mm. And I, I went to Ghana um, and I studied abroad in Ghana when I was in college and Ghana is this super dope country. It's like the size of Oregon for, for reference to Americans who may know it like the size, but it's got white sand beaches. It's got dense jungles, dense forests. It's got deserts that, on the tip of the Sahara, massive cities, villages. It's just such a magical world. And I wanted to write a fantasy story set in a world that looked like that. So that's a really long answer. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. you, you can go on. We're, we're here to listen. So this is about, you know, this is about the world that you built. So if, if you want to keep going, we're, we're here for it. I'm like, yay. <laughs> so the, cause like you were, you, like you were talking about, like it's the, the jungle for me was like also this like background character that has, that stands alone and like lives and breathes from what people, you know, it's like from hearsay, from it's, it's kind of like a lot of like about folklore that I, that I grew, also grew up with. So to me, that was, I just wanted, I just wanted them to go in it already. <laughs> and yeah. like, just go in, come on now. If, if, if I had to push them, I will, but they have to read it. And I'm sure, you know, they won't be disappointed. But like you said, you traveled to Ghana. You have traveled in many regions and lived in different countries. Um, how, how, are, how has these experiences effective, affected or impacted your style of writing or the, the stuff that you write about? Um, well, I, I know that we're in a pandemic now, so this is hard advice to give, but I would say once we are in a safer place, I encourage everybody to travel, travel as much as you can. You don't have to travel. You can, you can ball on a budget. <laughs> like, um, and that's what I did when I was, you know, out of college. Um, I bought a one-way ticket to Australia and lived in Australia for a year. Um, and I think it's important that you do that to get perspective. I think perspective is kind of the bomb um, to a lot of the human condition. People forget that we're all humans going through life together and um, just stepping out of what you know and having empathy for somebody else and seeing your home through somebody else's eyes or your culture through somebody else's eyes um, and understanding why they are the way they are. Um, it, I think it made me a better human. <laughs> And I'm still working on it. Like I'm still trying to be a better human every day, but um, I know going for me, going to Ghana and seeing black people in the majority, seeing black people on billboards, seeing black people, you know, that were both rich and poor and just, and just different types of black people, not just, you know, a li the limited view that I sometimes get in America. Um, it was really empowering, you know, and it reminded me that America is not the entire world there are lots of lots of different types of people um it made me like you know more selfless so sorry like you asked about writing I think that what happens to me as a person impacts my writing because when I, I see certain things that I like or don't like or that I have questions about it goes into my art so you know there's a little I don't it's not heavy but there's a little bit of commentary about religion and beasts of prey because Kofi and Icon actually have the same religion, but they're different ethnicities. So 
the way they even pray is different because of societal, like the way it is, Kofi's people are not allowed to go to the temple. So they've had to create a whole different way to pray that Ekans people can just go to the temple. Um, and there's a commentary, you know, like that I've gotten from my own life. Like why, why are certain things the way they are? Why do certain people, why aren't certain people allowed to worship and certain people's religions are revered and other people's religions are demonized? Um, but yeah, I think what happens to me as a person impacts how I write and seeing more of the world helps me write fuller stories. So you've done a, a remarkable job uh, building this elaborate world. If you were, um, if there was a writer wanting to step into this genre, what would you say to them um, the, the most important rules to follow in creating these type of stories? For young adults. If, if there are any. Oh yeah, because it's, it's totally subjective. I would say one of the universal rules, quotes around the word rules is um, read. You know, read, 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 read. Um, I think it's the best teacher. There are some great classes you can take, but I think just, just reading, reading stuff that you like, stuff that you don't like, figuring out why don't I like this or why did this book strike a chord with me, you know, and then kind of investigating that about yourself. That's how you become a good writer. Um, the advice that I wish I'd known when I started writing Beasts of Prey was let yourself write badly. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always tell people I used to write a draft and then I would open up a book by like, Saba Tahir is like one of my heroes. And I would be like, wow, Saba can write. I cannot write. <laughs> um, she, I will never be as good as her. And to be clear, I still think Saba is the queen of YA fantasy. And like, I, I, you know, but what I didn't realize is that, and I'm using Saba because we're friends too. Um, Saba spent years writing An Ember in the Ashes. And she has an editor, she has an agent, she had copy editors, she had friends who looked over it. Like so many people put their hands on that before I ever read it. And the same thing with Beasts of Prey, like what is out there in the world was not like I sat down and just <laughs> typed that out. Um, the first drafts of Beasts of Prey were really bad. And um, I used to try to be a perfectionist. So I would tell anybody who's aspiring to write in young adult fantasy or in any genre, let yourself do it badly. And then you can always polish it, refine it. Other people are going to help clean it up along the way. And that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. So don't be hard on yourself. I'm glad that you mentioned about like going back and, and polishing up your work. Cause you know, that deals with the editing process. When, at what point for you, did you say, okay, I think that this is it. When you got ready to send it off. Yeah. Someone to, to say, okay, we want to, buy your book when did you know like okay I'm, I think it's time for me to hit the the send button that's hard um I wrote Beast of Prey for four years by myself and then there was an event there is an event it's called DV Pit and it's actually happening this week but it's a Twitter event where you pitch your book idea and um you use the hashtag um on a certain so there's a young adult day there's adult there's middle grade but if an agent likes your tweet, that's them saying, hey, send me your materials. So that's how I actually found my literary agent through DB Pit. And also DB, that event is only for marginalized creators. It was, in, it was created by um, a literary agent who was of color and she created this for marginalized creators. Um, but I did that event, agents, some agents liked my thing and I was like, okay, now I have to send it. So like, I have to get it as good as I, I, I when I feel like I can't do anything else to it, I just have to send it at some point. I can't 
tweak, tweak, tweak with it. Like I could find things to fix forever. So I sent it out. Um, I got people, there were agents who passed. There were some who asked for more. There were some who offered. And I signed with my literary agent. We revised even more for a year. And it got to the point where he, his name is Pete. He was just like, hey, do you want to take this to editors? Have it to me by this date. And for me, having a date was like, okay, whether ready or not, I have to turn something in on July 1st, whatever the day was. Um, so I work well under pressure. It's a little weird, like having a date where I'm just like, after this date, I can't touch it anymore was really helpful. But also, when you write a story for like five years, eventually you just get so sick of looking at it. <laughs> You're like, I don't have anything else. Like I cannot think of else. And I was really excited. To, I was excited about the idea of having an editor, like somebody new to look at it, somebody who like their job was to evaluate stories. So, you know, you get it in the best shape you can where you feel like your eyes are going crossed looking at it. And then that's how you know you're ready. <laughs> you can't stand to look at it anymore. <laughs> who did you allow to like, read your, your piece before you sent it out into the world? Who, who are your, your at-home editors? Ooh, I had um, two, two really, really good friends uh, who are both writers um, in young adult fantasy who read it. And I found them um, both through Twitter. One of them, we have the same literary agent. Um, and the other, I mean, literally it was like, hey, I'm looking for a critique partner. Anybody interested? I'm interested. And I her work and she read mine. And now we're like best friends. She lives in England too. Um, oh, but yeah. Twitter can be like a trash fire, but it can also be um, really, really good for finding, finding kindred souls. So I'm grateful for it. So, you know, you did a traveling and stuff like that, but is there any other like research that you did to kind of like build up the story and the world of, of, of Beasts of Prey or Bop? That's how I yeah. love it too. Bop. I love calling it Bop, 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 Bop. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have a degree in African and African-American studies. So some of the nods to like pan-African and revolutionary leaders, like real people, that was just for my degree. And I, I, I knew that for the mythology, I definitely bought some anthologies. You have to be sort of careful with things like that though, because a lot of the African, and I'm putting quotes around African because Africa is a continent, um, but a lot of the African mythology anthologies that I found were translated by people um, who were not from the African continent. So I read those stories, but I always read them with a critical lens understanding that like the person who's translating these stories has a different, sometimes has a different ulterior motive, but I did read them to try to, you know, see what kind of, because the tropes that we're used to are Western tropes, but there's different types of storytelling in different parts of the world. There are different tropes that you see in different regions of the world. Um, so I did read a lot of those. Um, yeah, especially for the mythology and the creatures and the monsters. And then I also had a sensitivity reader for Beasts of Prey, which initially people didn't understand. Sensitivity and authenticity readers are people who are trained to read to make sure nothing in your book is problematic, by the way, um, just in case anyone doesn't know it. And I really pushed to have a sensitivity reader for Beasts of Prey, even though I'm Black, even though everybody in my story is Black, because I wanted to make sure I didn't have any internalized things that I was putting in because I've grown up in a racist, pretty racist society at times. And I'm, and I'm writing about an, an African inspired world, but I'm not from the continent of Africa directly. My ancestors were, but I'm not. Um, so that was a big part of my editorial process too, just making sure I wasn't doing any harm. 
or, or pushing any negative stereotypes. I'm glad that you mentioned that because it, I, what comes to mind when you say that you had someone to, to go through to make sure you weren't making any mistakes, um, the American Black cinema classic of coming to America. Like in the 80s, it was just something that, you know, we gravitated to and said, oh, this is beautiful. Like this is this is the idea that we've been told that this is what Africa is, right? And even though this was a comedy, that there is something that we can attach ourselves to when when you go back and you look at it and with with the information that you have one has gained since that movie has come out and you're just kind of like uh so uh, you know I kind of still had that feeling when the second movie came out and I was like they had such a they had a a chance to get it right the second the second time around and still failed to to do so so it really is important to have somebody who are you know who comes from a country or had you know parents come from that country and they can come in and say okay I am from this particular country in the continent of Africa and you know maybe what you said right here needs to be taken out and we can tweak it this way to make it you know doable for the film or the work or whatever um yeah congratulations again to you on becoming a New York Times bestselling author with a Netflix deal. (laughs) What has all of this been for you? What is it like waking up each morning knowing that you're killing the lit game? (laughs) I don't feel like I'm killing it. I know that sounds weird, but like, it's still kind of strange. Like I, Beasts of Prey was on my Google Docs for like four years and nobody knew about it. And so now everybody knows about it, like in my life. Um, so it's still, it feels kind of weird, but, um, I was talking to some friends and really I'm, I'm just trying to stay in my lane when I, I write stories and that's what makes me happy. And the Netflix stuff is really cool. It'd be awesome. You know, um, I know that fantasy takes a long time to make a film with special effects and it would be awesome if that ha- got to happen, but you know, my focus is, is writing stories. It's, it's what makes me happy. I'm an introvert. So my idea of like a perfect day is curled up with like some mac and cheese, um, cool. with it raining outside, quiet with my, with my books or with my computer writing. Um, so, and I think that's healthy. I think like, I, I promise I'm not like humble bragging when I say it, like I'm trying not to focus on that. You know, I'm trying to say, okay, book one is out there. What am I going to do next? Um, one of my favorite YA fantasy authors is Lee Bardugo, who wrote um, Shadow and Bone, and it's got turned into a Netflix ad- adaptation of Six of Crows. And she said one time, um, one good book does not an author make. One good series does not an author make. And I don't want to do this one time or two times. I want this to be my life. So I've always got to think about what's the next thing. You did this great, focus on the next thing. And that's like, professional athletes you know they win a basketball game and then they're training for the next one you know they can't focus on that achievement for too long so there yeah (laughs) so we're we're um we're about to ask you um our question from our reader and part of our our book club people um she was asking what was the inspiration for narrating between time periods did you always want to approach the writing in this way going back and forth between the times or was that something you decided to incorporate later? That was something that came later, like much as in like right before I turned in the final version of Beasts of Prey, which is which is a little weird because 
I spent four or five years writing Kofi and Econ. And then last Christmas, like last December, um, we, I mean, I was really sick. I was quarantined in my house. Um, it was cold. I have seasonal depression and I do not like gray, cold weather. Um, but I knew I needed to finish Beast Supreme, turn it into my editor. And it sounds really weird, but like very suddenly, um, this, this voice kind of, kind of jumped into my head. Um, I don't want to spoil it for, for those who haven't read Beasts of Prey, but there were some things about Beasts of Prey that I was like, this needs more explaining, but I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. And um, and Adia's voice. So that the first POV that you see when you open up the book, her voice came and literally what you read on that first page came to me just like that. I didn't really revise it at all. It just came and I was like, whoa. And I started typing like frantically. And it's the coolest feeling as a writer. Like it's like once in a blue moon that happens where it's just like, it just comes to you when you know it and it like this this tickle you feel like under your rib when you're like that's when it feels magic like um and so i it was a risk like because it is different time time periods and it takes you a second to figure that out and i gave it to my editor and i was like i know this is weird what do you think and she was like yeah i like it <laughs> um and- and she's very, um, my, my editor is, is really cool, um, but she's also blunt. So if she didn't like it, she'd be like, mm, no, this doesn't work. But she was like, it's weird, but I like it. <laughs> it works. It, re- it really does. Because then at some point, I'm like, me and Veronica were, you know, we don't want to spoil it. But she asked, she asked the golden questions like, um, I need to talk to you about this part. Like, you know, when it goes back and forth. And we're just like, ha. And then we, they like you know the gears turn in your head and you're like this is all good (laughs) it was all I love plot twists I love plot twists in movies and tv shows and books I love it um and I think like I, I I read historical fiction too and you see a lot of alternating timelines in those kinds of books too I think it's just fun when you have two different people's stories and they come together in a way that you weren't expecting it's just like a it's a trope I think and it's just a fun fun thing you see in stories sometimes but it's to me it's also hard to do because then sometimes not everybody can connect that effectively but then mm-hmm. when I had my aha moment I think it's when like this is a this is gonna be dope stay with it Denny <laughs> it's risk. I'm glad you hung in there yes it's so good in in September, I, I know Denny touched on it a little bit, but in September, um, our book of the month was Never Have I Ever by Isabel Gap. And uh, she is a, a Filipino writer and her book was all, all speculative fiction. Um, and it dealt with a lot of like the intertwining of Filipino mythologies and you know reading the story i had the added benefit of having denny to like fill in parts that i would have never known while reading the book of her being able to say oh you know like i remember this story this story this particular character exists because of this reason and when reading Mm -hmm. your reading your book it affected me in a way that I don't think anything has ever done where it made me realize that we missed out on a lot. And I know that you mentioned like you reading certain books, not until you got to college and, you know, saying like, this has been kept from me. And when I think of myself as an African-American person of like, there are so 
many stories that I will either if I don't take the time to learn, I won't I won't know them as well as she knows hers because she simply can trace herself back to her place of origin. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that what you have done is been able to like spark that interest and saying, okay, let me go and dig deep and really figure out like, what are those things that have been cut off from, from me or, you know, just other black people in general who have that interest and that desire of wanting to know, like, what have we not been connected to and so this is not a really a question more of a statement and saying that that you know it's a great story but in addition to all of that is the what you've done with this story is really brought out a lot more of like this search of identity and I just want to say thank you for that Um, you're gonna make um and the artwork of your book um is magnificent how involved were you in making of the making of the process of the making process I'm, i don't know how i'm asking that question but how how involved mm. were you in that process of making <laughs> the cover and uh did you get to pick the person who did the illustration of your book were there different covers and you finally were like this is this is the one yeah. And I just, I, I really appreciate what you just said too about identity and that, that it makes me feel very seen. It, it makes me feel like you understood what I was trying to do. Um, and I really appreciate you saying it because I cried writing this book for that reason, um, realizing how much has been taken away from us and some of it's gone forever. Um, and that's hard. So I thank you for saying that. Look, it's heavy. I think it's important to talk about it, but like I got angry writing Beasts of Prey because I was like, if I was writing a French inspired fantasy story, there is there are libraries dedicated to preserving French history, to preserving all kinds of history, but not my history. It's been not only carelessly preserved and sometimes, but it's been erased, burned, destroyed. Nobody knows that the walls of Benin are bigger than the walls of Great Wall of China. That's African architecture and it's, and people don't know. And that's on purpose. Because if you find out that Black people were building libraries and were creating beautiful structures and had elaborate trade and economy well before any white people came to Africa, that means you have to treat them as human beings who are equal or sometimes better at certain things. And that means you can't dehumanize them. And it just, oof, it, it's heavy. So this is what we ha- we, we should talk about it. Um, and I'm not going to segue gracefully <laughs> to the cover thing, um, but I'll say um, I love cover. I, I know everyone says don't judge a book by its cover, but I do. Uh, I think a lot of people do. Um, not every author gets to decide their cover, but I was really lucky. Part of the reason I, I decided to send, you know, let Penguin Random House and Penguin Young Readers publish Beasts of Prey is because I felt like they were really interested in, in how my output and getting my feedback. So I did get to pick the artists. Um, you know, I know that there is something to be said for having black people on the, on the cover. And I, I thought about it, but actually, again, selfishly as a reader, I actually don't always love when characters are put on the book because it takes away my chance to imagine them. Mm. Like 
as soon as I see a character, I can't see them any other way than what you've told me it has to be. And part of reading is using my imagination. So I really wanted, I mean, it's very obvious that everybody's black in the story. I made it, you, you cannot get away from it, but I still want people to get to use their imaginations when they pick, when they picture Kofi and Ekon and maybe you picture your little brother or I picture my, my little brother. So um, that's why there aren't any people on the cover of Beasts of Prey. I wanted something that captured the jungle that was magical. Um, and so we went back and forth and Teresa Evangelist, Evangelista, who designed it, was really good about taking my ideas and kind of giving me different things to work with until we found something that, that felt really cool. And I like how it's dark against these like really bright colors and the snake has like a, a meaning that you find out in the story and, <laughs> um, and yeah. It was so pretty because when we uh, they yes. they sent us the art for it and so much so much magic. It was like opening the box and it was gold and black and green and With you open leaves. it up and it is so pretty. And I'm like, man, I wish they sold it like this and just like <laughs> literally in the box, you open it up and it's just like this treasure that you that you find. It is it was so pretty how they presented it to you. Um, and they knew the gift that they had, the treasure <laughs> that was to be read. <laughs> but also like when, when we were like going through like Instagram, we had like, um, like characters, like, I don't know, it was illustration of characters and mm-hmm. I'm like, they are so good looking. <laughs> Whoever drew them, I was like, mm, if that doesn't get you re- to read the book, I don't know what would convince <laughs> Those you. Are, they're like my children. <laughs> so people are like, I'm so hot and I'm like my son um, <laughs> but but okay but in, for real though like okay especially on Instagram because we're just being candid right like we can talk really oh. candidly yeah. um I do notice like on Instagram for the YA fantasy you see a lot of fantasy art and it's very white it's very white yeah. no shade to those artists because they're incredible but I'm like I want black fantasy I want I, I, I want fantasy where we get to see more people or we get to see Latin people, Asian people, biracial, you know, like, I, I just want more. <laughs> um, black fairies, black vampires, black wizards. Um, and so I, I commissioned Beasts to Pray Art for myself and was like, I'm putting this on Instagram so that we can start to see it. And um, do you know Gibeon, the R&B singer? No. He's New to the scene. Someone current because I'm 42. <laughs> he's well. He's well. He um. I'll have to like email his name to you, but it's G I V E O N. And I saw him. He's an art like an R and B singer. He's kind of blown up in the last few years. And I was like, he's and he's like 20 something. Like he's really cute. And so I sent him as a model for Econ. So that's why I think he's so cute. Now I gotta look and at him. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, he's dark skinned. He's got like a nice fade and just like celebrating beauty in ways that we don't get to see like these certain features called beautiful. Like, you know, the black people I saw in fantasy always had purple eyes or straight hair or things that I'm like, I will never have that stuff naturally. Um, so I wanted to write characters who had broad noses and full lips and 4C hair and really dark skin and say that that's beautiful. Um, you internalize that kind of stuff. Like a kid reading that when you're told this is beautiful, you internalize that in ways that you don't even realize until you're an, an adult and you're like, oh, and that's why I'm in therapy. Um, like, <laughs> but I, it just, yeah. 
again, I, I can never tell a short story, but you know, I really tried to be really conscientious about, about the way I portrayed characters. You know, they're, they have brown eyes, making brown eyes beautiful. Cause as a kid, I didn't think my brown eyes were beautiful. I wished I had lighter colored eyes, um, making people with, you know, kinky hair, making that beautiful and Bantu knots and dreadlocks and top fades and the black hairstyles that we see, I see in my community that I'm familiar with. Um, just trying to celebrate different types of beauty. Yeah, and that's much appreciated because, you know, like even I'm Filipino, like Veronica said, and, you know, the the origins of my people are, are called Aitas, and they're not they're not much different from like African-American beauty standards, like the curly hair, like the broad nose and the lips and, you know, luscious, 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 dark skin. But you see me, I'm pasty white. How'd that happen? You know, so colonialism. There you go. So, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, you know, I'm asking like, so where did this come from? You know, like, like features in my face that people would be like huh she's different but I don't know how how she's different or like you know like then then like you said internalizing those questions I'm like am I really that different is this this bad or like you know what as a child you want to belong so you wanted to assimilate to what is considered like the beautiful Mm -hmm. of you know whatever people that you are around with. So you're trying to be like, let me change myself and do this and do that. Instead mm-hmm. of like, let me embrace this and people can just deal. Yep. So I think, you know, having things in like media or, you know, print, like you said, your books or social media is very important for young people to see because our their minds are very impressionable. And yep. I would back anything just to see somebody or someone, anybody <laughs> to and, be looking like me. And not only young people, but like old people too. Parents, parents. And, you know, it really says something because, you know, you mentioned about like, you know, you wanted to see like black fairies and things like that nature. And one of my favorite things to look at are people doing cosplay and especially when they're black people doing cosplay and you're just seeing them do these characters and a lot of people who are you know saying well there is no black superwoman you can't be that character there's no black wonder woman and it's like who is you know first of all it's fictional i can do whatever i want and and saying like my face is allowed to uh be a representation of power and beauty um just like anybody else and so you know your book has very uh it has many layers (laughs) you know, from very basic of it just being a story up until like you're dealing with all of these issues, these social and racial and and other issues intertwined into this story that you can break it on down. And it's not, I've always said that YA is not just for the kids, that this is something for adults to read as well, because it helps us to work through those things that we never thought um, was probably an issue or one that Mm -hmm. we you know, didn't know how to work through. And, and sometimes you all as writers help us deal with those, even if that's never, ever the first intention (laughs) that you set out with, but you, you do that. Um, So, you know, we just want to know, when can we find out what happens in your next story? Any news on the next book? Yeah. So um, 
one wild thing about publishing that I didn't know is how the timelines work. Uh, it takes a really long time to go from like writing a book to doing all the design and like not just the cover, but the pages and the copy editing and checking for grammar. All that to say, um, I wrote book two and it turned it in June 1st. <laughs> um, right. You so, hear that, people? It's out. So we're, we're doing it. Butter. <laughs> Hold your horses. She's about to. I have to, yeah. I have to like, I say that there's a caveat though. I turned in book two to my editor, June 1st. She read it. She, re- she actually reads three times before she gives it back to me. And she reads, one time she reads, the second time she makes her notes, the third time she waits a minute and then rereads to see if she agrees with her notes. Then she gives it back to me. So I have her notes. And now I'm revising based on her notes and we'll turn in hopefully the final version in December. Um, And then we go through the whole like copy editing, making arcs. Uh, I've seen mock-ups of the cover. Um, It's like a sketch, but it's not, it's it's not done, but it's really, it's really pretty. Uh, There's a title and it's, um, it will come out sometime next year. I know the date, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. There's so many secrets, secrets to in publishing, like, my poor dad, who is from New York and loves to like, he's like the stereotypical, like loud New Yorker, <laughs> just like very nice. So like with, with Netflix, for example, I told my family and my dad's like, can I go on Facebook? And I'm like, no, no, you can't. Um, and he's like, this isn't fair. I can't do anything. I'm not allowed to talk about anything. I'm like, welcome to my life, dad. Mm-hmm. I literally secrets for months at a time. Um, sorry, but um. So book two is, it's coming and I will say though, the last, okay, the first chapter of book two used to be the last chapter of book one and it was an even worse cliffhanger and my editor's like, maybe we should make it slightly less of a cliffhanger because you're, you're, people, people who read this are going to like want to kill you because <laughs> it was even worse, but um, yes, but I felt that to the bone because yes. Some be like, I need it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing as fast as I can. <laughs> oh, it, I I enjoyed it. I, it's it's a lot. It's a labor of love, and we felt that through the pages, like all of the intention and the care and the writing. So I'm just impatient. All 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 readers are. I'm sorry, but you know, you take your time with it because we don't want to rush. You can't rush this gift. Yes, you you can't rush magic. <laughs> so you you do what you got to do. I'm just happy that it is in existence. That's enough for me. I can sleep well at night now. <laughs> this it has to exist. I have I have deadlines, and that's the other weird thing is like up until now I just wrote when I felt like writing, but now I have a contract that says you have to turn in book two by this date and the outline for book three by this date, like it's kind of it so it changes the process a little bit I like it but because I, I like deadlines but it is weird to be like no you have to do this, this is now your job so. and you're working with the same people the same editors from from the first book mm-hmm. yeah. same exactly which is really nice because now I've done it once so now I know kind of how it works my editor actually moved um it's a little confusing she moved imprints so she's still at Penguin but a different imprint when that happens sometimes the editor um sometimes you read like the author might lose their editor but um in my situation I'm really lucky that my editor is guest editing quotes around it so she's she's moved on but she's still my editor like 
just for me and my books, which is really nice. That's good. That's good. Is yeah. that including anything else that follows after the second one? If you write a second, would she be included or you might get a whole, or you don't book three, She was the editor that bought all three books. So for these three, she definitely will. Um, I don't know what happened. Three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there are two more. Um, I don't know past the three, like what would happen, but I know that I'm, I'm with her for the next two. Awesome. Well, we're with you up until you you don't want to write anymore. So hopefully, that happen. yeah. So no, whatever, whatever you want to release in the world, you know, I'm, I'm reading it. So <laughs> she, she's gonna- this is how I um survive. This is my my whole. I'm a full time author, and this is my job. And um, it'd be really cool to like live the rest of my life doing something that I love to do. Like that's, that's probably the coolest thing about this is I wake up and this is my job telling, I lie to people. <laughs> but I tell people, no, I man. lie. You, you create, you create this um, sens- sensory imaging. Yeah. I make things for a living. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've come to the last and most important question that we ask all of our guests when we come on the show. How is Apollo? <laughs> that is not it. Yeah. That was not a question. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to ask about Apollo. That's that's totally fair. Um, Apollo is my baby rhino who I quote adopted. He lives in Kenya. Um, he I haven't gotten his report card this month. He's doing pretty well. He has tantrums. That's why I say like I don't know. He's a big boy. He's like three thousand pounds. So when he has a tantrum, everybody moves. But he's a sweetheart, and he lives in Nairobi. Um, he just got a new bedroom because this summer he was like, my old one is not, he was like, this is not it. Um, yeah. <laughs> he like tried to put it down and they were like, right, you need a new bedroom. Got it. So they moved him out to a bigger space. And he, uh, sometimes he plays hooky and he leaves the preserve and they're like, cool. We don't know where he is, you know? Um, and then he comes back and he's like, I had a good time. I'm ready for nap time now. Oh my um, it's very involved. He's, he's super sweet. Um, on Instagram, Sheldrick Wildlife Trust is the organization that like looks after him because he was orphaned due to poaching, unfortunately. Um, but he's a sweetheart. And they also look after orphaned baby elephants and then they reintegrate them back into the wild um, when they get older. So it's a really cool organization, uh, but he's doing fine. And my puppy is also doing fine because I got her recently. Her name is Dolly and she is a doodle and uh, and she's also a terrorist and a menace. And <laughs> It's always it's the taller dogs. <laughs> it is. It's always the cute little teddy. She looks like a teddy bear. And then she steals all of our stuff and chews all of our clothes up. Um, she's good. <laughs> so, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the last question, but. <laughs> now the real last question um, okay. that we ask everybody when they come on is we want to know what are your top five favorite books of all time? No, <laughs> I can't. Or- or if you want to switch it up, the five books that you're currently interested you're reading or most interested in in writing. Okay. I literally have favorites in each genre. So like historical fiction, um, what I consider literary. I'll do YA fantasy because we talked about YA fantasy. Um, so let's see, let's see, let's see. Um I just read Little Thieves by Margaret Owen um, and it's like kind of Germanic folklore, which is just a, a kind of folklore I've never really 
delved into. And it's really, I like YA fantasy that's really, um, like they feel like teenagers. They're not these like all knowing, super cool, mature people. They're like kids that screw up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Margaret has, she's really, she's a really funny writer. So that's one. Um, Sorcery of Thorns I mentioned before by Margaret Rogerson. And that's about a girl who works at a magical library and she's like a warrior librarian. So that, that's it. That's the, t- that's it. That's the tweet. Um, and I love that book. My heart Oh gosh, uh, Seba Tahir and Ember in the Ashes um, that came out and that was a part of inspiration for Beasts to Prey, just like it's also two POVs and it was, I carried that book around with me everywhere. Um, oh gosh, They're, like all these titles are now like pushing into my head. Um, I think, gosh, okay, The Gilded Wolves by Roshni Chakshi uh she Roshni is half Filipina half Indian and that particular story has POVs from different races neurodivergent characters um LGBTQ plus characters and she she and and also a character who's biracial who's half Spanish half Filipina and and deals with kind of the dichotomy of that um and talks about some of the things that you've mentioned Denny about you know how do I reconcile with my heritage being somewhat having indigenous heritage but also like you know heritage from the people who colonized this area um is that four am i at four there's one more right Mm -hmm. oh gosh so much pressure (laughs) Um, and it's hard because i love books um i'll go with a classic i'll say that um six of crows by lee bardugo i read that and was like cool I can't write (laughs) Um, (laughs) because it's so good it's so so good and I really admire uh Lee as an like she's she's someone who's really gracious she's had so much success but it's just a really humble person and a really good writer and that's another book where you have um characters of color you have characters who are disabled who are empowered and they're not perfect and they're flawed and they grow and it's you know, that the end of that series um, made me cry. I was like, and I, and someone had already spoiled it for me, but I still cried because it was just, I was so attached to those characters. So those are my five. <laughs> and right. YA you heard it here first. Those are her, well, you probably didn't hear it here first, but those, the first time <laughs> here on the Vulgar Geniuses <laughs> podcast, her top yep. five books of all time ayana um thank you so much for everything for being able to meet with us to talk about your book to talk about why you wrote it to talk about your um, lovely rhino and your dog and (laughs) just everything in between we really appreciate and it's good to know that for right now i'm sure eventually you might move on but you are here in the same state of florida as us so it is good to know that we're on the same east coast as someone as talented as you and just thank you for Uh Um, east coast coast giving us this this treasure if we knew where we where you live we would send you a a sweet potato pie (laughs) right now at your door but just thank you again for joining us thank you so much Mm -hmm. ayana it's been a it's been a pleasure we wish you all the best and you know we we truly appreciate we truly appreciate the book and we can't wait for the next two so and you know you're always welcome to come back to our show um doors are always open if you want to chat if you want you know 
anything. If you want readers for your third book, you know, <laughs> you have people that get paid to do that. But anyway. <laughs> Dearly, thank you both. Like, I know this is obviously, this is a podcast and the show, but like, thank you for good conversation and for honest conversation. I don't get to have these conversations very often that are really like deep. And so I just, I really appreciate you both being like, being able to hear you and then also talk with you and just thanks for having me. Thank you. We, we love good books. We also do this, you know, to, to, we, we've done this. So people of color know that there are people like them that do great mm. so sorry about that <laughs> this is a way podcast it's called vulgar geniuses for a for a reason it's fair, it's fair. We'll, we'll, we'll edit it and post <laughs> but you know that this is why we, we do this literally that we we've been running this this podcast this show um or conversation for awareness and you know, for, for the younger and older people that look exactly like us to know that we're here and we're killing it and we're keep doing it. Give us your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girl. We'll, we'll check you later. You have a good evening. Thank you again. All right. Have a good night. Thank y'all for bearing with me while I had tech issues. Have a good night. You too. You Bye. too. Good night. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.